that uh, your arms are open to us. That there's in them an abundance of love and grace and forgiveness for sin and mercy. What a joy it is for us to be together here in this place. God, today we choose. We choose to run to you. May that be the the, the tenor uh, of our attitude this morning, that it would be one that seeks you first. No, God, would you speak to us in this place. May we be changed by your living word. We give you praise in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it is so good to be able to be back here and be, uh, be back up in front of you guys to be able to, to share God's word with you today. Um, it has been so awesome over the last couple of weeks, though, to be able to get to know Pastor Mark and Judy and get to know them through, uh, through Mark's preaching. And, and uh, Judy has been uh, playing for first service and, and assisting the first service worship team. And it's been such a joy and a privilege to get to know you guys. We're so glad that you're with us. And, and it's been uh, one of the things that I've really, really appreciated uh, about uh, Pastor Mark and Judy is they can be heckled. I can heckle them, and that's, and that's such a good thing for me. It speaks to something that's like at the very core of like who I am and where I come from. Like I'm from a family of jokers, so that's like one of my love languages. Like I get to heckle, and so, uh, so it's, been a, it's been a really, really uh, neat thing. But, uh, but all in all, we're so glad that you guys are here, and, and uh, it's been so neat to be able to, to sit under your preaching and, and, uh, and to get to know you through that. And, uh, and I'm excited for the opportunity to, to kind of join as, as part of that here today. Um, so one of the things that I've learned over the years as a, as a young preacher is that I have a lot to learn. And, uh, and I learn a lot by listening, and I learn a lot from, uh, from the people that I, I listen to and hear. And, and so as I'm, as I'm becoming the, the, the person that I, I am in ministry, like I'm, I'm taking different things from different places and discovering different things. And, and they say that, that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And so the, the, last couple of, uh, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Mark has started out his messages with a story. I'm thinking, that's a novel idea. So I've got a story for you today. Uh, there once was a, a young boy uh, who grew up around the church. And, uh, and he had heard stories of, of people making all kinds of requests to God and then receiving the thing that they asked for. He'd even remembered a, a preacher once uh, sharing the words of Jesus that, uh, that you have not because you ask not. Well, it was the first real spring day after a long, hard Wisconsin winter. You all know what I'm talking about, right? It's the first real nice spring day, and that boy, he peers out the window, and he thought to himself, man, if only I had a bike. I would ride up and down those hills so fast. I'd just feel like the, the, the wind in my hair, take your breath away, you know, and... I don't know that he was actually like thinking the Top Gun theme song or not, but, but so, you know, he's thinking about this and so he begins to pray and he asks Jesus for a bike. But there was no bike to be had. Discouraged, he, 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 he thought, you know, what am I doing wrong? And, and so he remembered that he had overheard a, a TV preacher once and, and he recalled this TV preacher talking about naming the promises of God and claiming them for themselves. 
The young boy recalled that the psalm said that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And so he prayed all the more earnestly. He said, Jesus, you know that my heart desires a bike. And I'm believing for a shiny red one, but if yellow's all you got, I'll take that too. And so Jesus, I'm claiming this promise that you are gonna give me the desires of my heart in the form of a bike. But still, there was no bike to be had. Well, a few days later, the family got together. It was, a, it was a family birthday party, and they got together at Grandma's house. And so, as was family practice, they went, to, they went to Grandma's church on Sunday morning. It was this little Catholic parish out in the country. And uh, as this young boy was walking through the hallways, he, uh, he noticed there was a statue of Mary. And so he took the statue of Mary, stuffed it in his backpack, and hid his bag. Well, later on that night, he begins to pray, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mom again... We need to talk about a bike. And to this day, Pastor Mark still doesn't have that shiny red bike. But I was, I was watching him unpack, though, and I found the statue of Mary. Don't worry, I'm going to get her home in time for Christmas. So it'll be all good. It'll be all good. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure that most of you this morning, you have a story of your own. Maybe not as ridiculous as a story of this boy with his bike, but, or the bike that he didn't have. Um, but I'm sure that you've all been in a place where you've wanted something so desperately and something so badly that you would go to any extent to make sure that you got that thing, whatever that thing is. And you would go through, through great lengths to convince something that you needed just that thing. And let's be honest, we, we all do this. It's, it's kind of a part of that pursuit of happiness that we all we all pursue it we all do it on something that we all we all long to be happy if you were to ask anybody what's one thing that you hope for in your life or what's one thing that you hope for your kids it's to live a happy life you know this was this has been something that's it's not a new thing uh, it's nothing new under the sun, but the signers of the Declaration of Independence, this, this founding charter of our nation, they, they called the pursuit, or they called happiness an inalienable right, right along with the preservation of life and liberty. It's something that's a part of our, our national consciousness. Happiness is something that we all search for. But like every good American, we kind of do the thing where like, it's not enough just to pursue it. We've got to have it. It's our right. We deserve that, right? Like, and so we, we do like everything that we can to make sure that we get happiness. We will do whatever it takes. And for some of us, it's the hunt. For some of us, it's, it's that purchase or it's that pride of having that thing that nobody else has that I get to call mine. It, it's, it's the Black Friday shopper that snatches that last deal. It's that sleepless night unlocking that video game achievement that only 0.5% of the gaming population has. Gallahorn, am I right? Can I, yeah, yeah, Russell's over there like, amen. It's spending hours restoring that 1969 Pontiac GTO judge to classic specs. It's that new car smell that you borrowed for. It's that promotion at work at the expense of a weekend. It's, it's that place on the team at the expense of your first priorities. It's that shiny red bike that you would blackmail the God of the universe in order to get. And it's amazing. It absolutely blows my mind. The lengths that we will go to to get the things that we want. 
Because ultimately, they're the things that we think will make us happy. And usually, those things come with a price tag. And there's a visa bill at the end of the month. Or there's a monthly payment for 60 months. Or there's, there's the repercussion of that thing. Well, this morning, this morning, we're going to take a look into the, at a snapshot into the life of Jesus that's going to put the pursuit of happiness into a better perspective for us. If you want to read along with me, we're going we're to follow it together in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's great. We're, we're going to have it up on the screen, or there's a Bible in the pew. If you need one to take home with you, we've got bi- extra Bibles out on the, in the table in the foyer, and we'd love to make sure that you get one into your hands today. But it's Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. And it says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Then he said to them, or when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem knowing he had to go there in order to complete his part of Mission Impossible, God's plan to save the world. While he's traveling, he's teaching his disciples. This is something that that he would do along the way. A lot of the journey that you see Jesus on in the Gospels is him like going places and sharing meals with people and teaching. And that's pretty much like sums up. It's like going another place to eat and he's teaching along the way. It's kind of like Thanksgiving, right? A little bit, a little bit like that. So while he's traveling, he's teaching his disciples. He's talking about things like forgiving the sins of others, keeping each other accountable to God's design for life, and faith increased by humility. And as he's teaching and he's traveling, he's confronted at a distance by this group of 10 men with leprosy. Now, show of hands here, how many of you have ever seen leprosy before? Have any of you seen leprosy? Okay. <laughs> There's a little hand over there. <laughs> I bet you have. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, I had the opportunity uh, a couple years back. I was in, in India, and uh, there was a leper colony that I got to go to and, uh, and serve a meal there, and it was one of the most humbling experiences. There's just this gathering of people just kind of taking care of each other. 
and, uh, and, and, and not much has changed in the way that, in the way that leprosy was viewed uh, back in Jesus' time versus the way that it was viewed in, in India today. Um, leprosy was a skin condition. It was viewed as this, this physical manifestation of, of evil thoughts or deeds. In India, it was, more like, it was more like a karmic thing, like you'd done something to offend a god or an avatar or something like that. But in, in Jesus' time, leprosy was this, this skin condition. It was viewed as this manifestation of evil thoughts or deeds. And, and this was a really, really common notion because if you read through the Old Testament, most people that were afflicted by leprosy were, were people who had been disobedient to God or they'd been rebellious or there was something that was like an err between them and God. And leprosy came on the scene. And usually people kind of put two and two together and they're like, somebody has sinned. Somebody, is, somebody has gone against God. We need to put them out. And so, and so these people ended up becoming outcasts. They were put out of villages. They were put out of their homes because nobody wanted to be, nobody wanted to be influenced and, and in turn be one that ended up being put out as well. And so here they were. Their affliction wasn't understood. It wasn't treatable. And so they were put out of town and they called out to Jesus and he answered them. It really wouldn't have been uncommon for, for a group of lepers like, the, like this one that we have in today's, in today's snapshot into the life of Jesus. It, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to call out to travelers to, to take pity on them, to give them something. But there was always the chance that they'd be ignored. I mean, we know what this is like, right? We go into the grocery store around this time of year. We, you know, hear the ding, 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 ding. And we see the red buckets and kind of like do one of these things or like, like, oh, do I have my guilty change in my pocket? My guilty change that I can just kind of throw out. But, but this here, this here is a huge moment because Jesus doesn't ignore them. And, and this traveler, it's not just that, that he pays attention to them, but this traveler is Jesus, They've heard the stories of Jesus of Nazareth. And surely these ten men thought to themselves, if only we could ask Jesus for a shiny red bike. Okay, so maybe it's not as trivial as that, but go with me here a second on this, okay? Put yourself for a minute in a first century leper's sandals or lack thereof. If you were separated out from family and friends. And we don't really have a time frame and how long these, these men were, were separated from their families, but imagine yourself here for a minute being separated from family and friends and think about, think about what would be the thing that would make you the happiest. Well, it would be, naturally, it would be like being back with family and friends, right? Like, because that's kind of the, er, that's the tension that's there. But you're still leprous, which means that even if you did go back, you'd be put back outside again. Really, the only solution here is healing. And they had heard correctly that Jesus had the kind of authority over sickness and disease that he could do something about this. And much like the boy and the bike, they did whatever it took to get the attention of Jesus. And Jesus tells them, go, Show yourselves to the priests. 
This was not an uncommon practice. If, somebody's, if somebody was healed or somebody's uh, time of disease was over, they would, be, they would go back to the priests and show themselves. The, the priests would kind of give them a once-over and, uh, and they would give them like the thumbs up or the like, you need to go back out there sort of thing. Uh, and, and, and then they, if, if they were good, they would be let back into the, into the, the, the town and into the, the society there. But if not, they were put back outside again. And Jesus tells them, go, show yourselves to the priests, common practice. They weren't healed yet, but as they went, they were healed. But this one man, he, he throws himself, after he discovers he's healed, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and thanks him. And Jesus asks this man, what about your friends? Where did they go? But we have no record of his response to Jesus. We just know that he's just like, down on the ground. He's just, you know, pouring out his worship to God and to Jesus out of gratitude. And Jesus sends him on his way. He lifts him up and he encourages him. And he says, your faith, your faith has made you well. So what does this have to do with us here today? Well, there are four insights that we can draw from here about the pursuit of happiness that last far beyond the new car smell or when that visa bill comes in the mail. The pursuit of happiness, it begins by simply asking for Jesus. In verse 13, the 10 call to Jesus. They they see him and they boldly ask him for mercy. They ask him to show pity on them. They ask him for healing You know, earlier in the story with the boy and the bike, I mentioned Psalm chapter 39, verse 4. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. But that verse begins by saying, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. For these men, it began while seeking Jesus. They sought help from travelers and other teachers before Jesus but none of them could provide the thing that Jesus did. There's a, there's a pastor that I follow on social media. His name is Tim Keller. He uh, pastors a church in New York City. And, uh, and this week he, he posted this. He says, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. They could have believed in every other traveler that came before, but this was Jesus This was the Son of God. This is the one who was the author and the perfecter of life and whose healing power pointed them to the generosity of the Father that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. It says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Pursuing Jesus first will always point you to the Father. God knows how to give good gifts, but it isn't always the thing that we're looking for. But what he does give us are gifts that draw us closer to himself and draw others closer to himself. And they are always, always, always the more and the most fulfilling answers to our requests. And this is where we come to the second piece of the pursuit. 
The pursuit of happiness requires trust. When we ask God to join us in the, in the pursuit of happiness, we have to trust his response. You know, some of the, sometimes he says no. Sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no. Sometimes it's not yet. Sometimes it's maybe. Sometimes it's you choose. But what I find really, really interesting here is this passage, this, this entire book, this account is written by Luke. Luke is a doctor. His attention to detail is, is clinical. And Luke records Jesus' response as neither a yes or a no. Jesus doesn't give him a straightforward, yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to be healed. Or a, nah, I'm too busy. He doesn't give him either of that. Jesus' response is simply go, show yourself to the priests. And it wasn't an immediate healing, but each of the ten had to trust Jesus' response and take a step towards trusting him. This one is a hard one for me. This one is a really, really, really difficult one for me because I like things clear and concrete. I like to know what's going to be next. And I'm a scenarios guy. Like I think, like I think with the information that I have, all of the potential income. So you got to believe that I like details. I like to know what's going to happen. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have prayed that God would show me a glimpse of his plan in this last year. And you know what his response to me was? And it still is. It's the same exact thing as, as his response to these 10 men. It's go and do the thing that I already told you to do. See, true happiness rests in the assurance that I may not understand God's answers today. But what God will provide in the future is far, far better than anything that my expectations or my scenarioing could ever come up with. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Trust him. And he will make your path straight. And you know, there's a response to that when, when, we begin, when we begin to see God make our path straight. And that's the third point here. That the pursuit of happiness demands a life of gratitude. Jesus doesn't go back on his healing of the nine that didn't return to thank him. They, they don't suddenly break out into leprosy again. Um, we, we have no record of, of any of that stuff happening. But, but we do, what we do have is we have one that returned to, to worship Jesus. And Jesus makes a pretty big deal of acknowledging this man's gratitude. You know, you know one of the things that I've learned over the years is that gratitude and happiness, they, they really go hand in hand. Have you ever met like an ungrateful, happy person? No, they don't exist. Like, my money's more on a unicorn existing, and that I'm going to get one for Christmas, uh, than, than an ungrateful, happy person. It's just, they're, they're incongruent things. You see, because ungra ungratefulness, it breeds discontent. I know for me that some of the most negative seasons of my life have been characterized by my lack of trust and acknowledging who God is and remembering 
what he's already done for me. And, and, and how crazy it is, is it? And I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm not the only one with like goldfish brain here today, right? You know, where it's like, poof, I'm up against the glass. Like, oh, I'm in this thing, like this, this tank. And like, poof, it's there. And, and I, forget that I'm, I forget that it's there. Like, and I forget. It's so easy for me to forget that God has provided so many things. He's so awesome. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how, how infathomable he is. And I forget that. And when I, when I run up against circumstances, I'm like, oh, God, can you really do something in that? It's like, yeah, I you know, fed people in a desert where there was no food and water. I parted seas. I you know, turned life, death into life. You know, no, I can't help you with that thing. Sorry. No, that's not how he responds. It's like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And you see, I tend to forget that the very breath in my lungs is borrowed, that I wasn't promised a a tomorrow today, and I often forget that the truest form of happiness is contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, the second half of verse 11, Paul writes from a jail cell, writes from a prison cell, I have learned the secret of being content. Let that bake your noodle for a minute here a second. I've learned the secret of being, you're in a jail cell, Paul. What do you have to be content about? You're chained to a Roman soldier. Like, that dude cannot smell good. What do you have to be content about? You see, the reason why Paul could write this with any bit of confidence is because he understood the final part of the pursuit of happiness, and it's this. The pursuit of happiness is an eternal journey that begins at the feet of Jesus. It's not something that's always immediate. It's it's not something that's a, a destination of arrival. It's a journey. And the joyful worship of this Samaritan man poured out at the feet of Jesus is 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 really, really an appropriate place for us to close out today. As a Samaritan And a leper, the notion of interacting with a Jew, let alone a Jewish rabbi like Jesus, it was absolutely absurd to think that that would be a thing. There were too many boundaries, too many cultural barriers. There was too much racism. But Jesus doesn't recoil. He doesn't look the other way. He doesn't duck and cover He does the thing that God still does today. He takes all of our mess and all of our brokenness and all of the stuff that we do to put distance between us and himself and he still is there with arms open wide and he's still welcoming us to the foot of his cross. Jesus is still welcoming us to himself. And even from a cross, even while being executed, he still says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He still welcomes and he doesn't recoil. And the thing that's so true today that was true on that very day is that Jesus still welcomes you, that God is still for you. And I'm so glad for that today. Man, I get up unhinged up in front of you guys over this today because it's just so good. It's so absurd to think that the God of the universe, even in full view of all my mess and all of my brokenness, will do the thing that God 
always does, and that is that he restores his creation to himself. He restores the brokenness. He binds up the brokenhearted. He welcomes the sinner home as dearly loved sons and daughters of the King of Kings as he says, go and sin no more. And you know, on that day, on that day, that Samaritan man got his healing, but he became part of so much more. He, he became a part of God's, God's story, God's story of restoration. You know, the author of Hebrews writes this entire chapter about men and women of faith, and at the end of this, at the end of this chapter he, uh, about this, he says, these were all commended, these men and women of faith, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Some of you are probably sitting there out there thinking, like, I couldn't even get my house perfect for family to come into town. Like, how does Jesus expect me to be perfect or get perfect? Well, it's because he's already done it. And he's doing it. But it begins at the feet of Jesus. And when we lay our pursuit of happiness at the feet of Jesus, we give him permission to teach us how to be content. He, he, he gives, we give him permission to teach us how to be okay with what we have, to recognize what he's blessed us with. He sets us on a journey toward meaningful, long-lasting things which produce happiness. And he may never give you the thing that you want. He may never give you that shiny red bike. But what he will provide in his own timing is it's not just good it's the best. For those of you who are maybe still wondering about the whole thing with the Black Friday shopping and the cars and the achievements and, and all that stuff, you know, is, are any of those things are any of those things wrong or bad or anything like that? No, but we have to be wise about the whys. Why do we pursue those things for our happiness? Why is that the thing that we look for to, to bring us joy are you looking to the next big thing to make you happy uh, we we could go to to any extent and every extent to to try to achieve the thing or get the thing that we think is going to be what makes us happy and better and good and whatever but but it might only give you a temporary glance of happiness but the thing that god challenges us on is where we're going to leave out today and that's this you can get everything that you've ever wanted but if it doesn't find itself at the feet of Jesus submitted to his will it will never bring you lasting happiness I want to invite the worship team forward we're going to close out here um, with a song um, called Great Are You Lord and I want you to just focus on the picture that it draws of who God is you see, what Jesus offers us in return for, for our life when we lay it at, at his feet is it, it's, def, it's a life that's defined by contentment. It's a life that, where he teaches us to be full of love and joy and peace and patience 
and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and yes, even self-control. And the great news is there's no monthly bill that comes with that. Because Jesus, He put the down payment on our forgiveness. He put the down payment for you and for me. Why don't you stand with us together as we sing the song in closing. This morning, maybe you've never asked Jesus to join you in your pursuit for happiness. And I would invite you to to come forward to one of these altars. There are going to be people that are available to pray with you and, uh, and come alongside this journey with you because this is not a journey that you do alone. This is a journey that we do together with Jesus. And so take some time today. Nail this down today so that you can leave here pursuing Jesus and pursuing happiness. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the great love that you've poured out onto us. The great grace and mercy you've thrown, shown us through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you continue to restore your creation to yourself. And so God, I, I pray that as we go from here, that we would go knowing that you are with us and that you are for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In your pursuit of happiness, may you never lose sight of the source of where true happiness comes from. May you find contentment not in what you have, but in who has your future firmly held in his hands. And may you trust your heavenly Father with your pursuit of happiness. Be blessed as you go.